yours. The world is yours. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Whose world is this? It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Whose world is this? The world is yours. The world is yours. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I sit the dumb peak watching Gandhi till I'm charged and writing in my book of rhymes. All the words past the margin. The whole of mic I'm throbbing. Mechanical movement. Understandable. Hi, folks. Today's podcast is brought to you by FantasyAces.com. The premier destination for daily fantasy sports and home to incredible once-in-a-lifetime big-ticket live championship finals for pro and college football, baseball, and basketball. Join FantasyAces.com today and claim your 200% first-time deposit bonus with promo code 4 for 4 that's four F O R four. For presidents to represent me. Say what? I'm out for presidents to represent me. Say what? I'm out for dead presidents to represent me. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by Four for Four Football. It's week eight in the NFL. I'm Four for Four's senior DFS editor Chris Raybon. I do want to let you guys know that we will be giving away a free 4 for 4 DFS subscription, so stay tuned for details on that at the end of the podcast. Moving on, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, brilliant fantasy mind, 4 for 4's TJ Hernandez. What's up, TJ? Oh, man. What's up, Chris? Thank you for the for the brilliant compliment, man. I don't know if I deserve all that. Uh yeah, I'm I'm a little sad to see Lucky Week 7 go. It was a really, really nice week for anyone that was playing the chalk last week. The chalk did well for us. Um, but, you know, Week 8 looks pretty exciting because it looks like uh, salaries are tightening up and there's a uh, there's a tough puzzle to put together this week. But I think we got some ideas for it coming up. Definitely got some ideas. But before we get into those and... Our DFS theory topic on bankroll management. I do want to mention that the song that played us in was The World Is Yours off Nas's 1994 classic debut album, Illmatic. TJ, we were talking about this off air. It's really hard to pick just one song off Illmatic. It's a really amazing album. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good album. It's one of those albums I didn't appreciate till I got a little bit older. I think... Uh, a function of growing up on the West Coast. I didn't have <laughs> as much exposure to Nas as I would have liked. I mean, we had, you know, the Biggie and the Jay-Z, but for some reason, I never got into Nas much when I was younger. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the all-time greats right there. Most definitely. So before we get into our Week 8 picks in our DFS theory segment, let's quickly do a recap of Week 7. I'll start it off. And my takeaway has to do with fading players. With Hopkins laying an egg last week, Devontae Freeman underperforming, it got me to thinking that whenever there are highly owned players who are expensive, it can be oftentimes a lot more worthwhile to fade those guys. Because if they underperform and you find a cheaper guy who does better, not only are you getting more value for less salary at a spot that a large portion of the field isn't, but you're also opening up a lot more flexibility for the rest of your lineup so you can have differentiated picks elsewhere as well. If you go with the crowd on one or two very, very expensive popular plays, you're probably going to be pigeonholed into other common selections at other positions as well, making it even harder for yourself to separate from the pack. So that's something to think about. Be willing to fade some of the expensive plays in tournaments, even though it may be a little bit uncomfortable. TJ, what about you? What did you take away from Week 7? Well, I mean, to your point, you mentioned Hopkins, and this is something that uh, you and I have talked about just uh, just off air, just talking DFS. Uh, it's especially true when it comes to wide receivers. Uh, I mean, without giving away too many of your trade secrets, basically we can we can predict running back production a little uh, more confident confidently than we can wide receivers just because they have fewer looks, fewer uh, targets than, than running backs do. So uh, those are going to be really uh, high-variance guys, even if it is like a, a Devon, I mean, excuse me, a Julio or a DeAndre. Um, so, yeah, if you're fading the, the super high uh, price, super expensive uh, wide receiver, you're probably not losing much in terms of equity. 
Uh, as far as what I learned from week seven, it was it wasn't so much a, a takeaway from week seven as as a lesson that I kind of already knew, but I didn't apply. Uh, to the week and like I said I had a a really really good week uh, my best cash week of the season but I could have had a a phenomenal week and it just has to do with um, with player exposure Uh, you talked about fading certain players kind of to a similar point Uh, uh, one thing I always look at is you know minimum exposure maximum exposure to certain types of players and I've always been a somewhat uh, risk-averse player when it comes to any type of wagering or betting or uh, you know just anything thing where there's a element of luck so i always try to have some exposure to players that i like a little bit and uh i don't think you need to force it though so for example last week there were two uh, very clear tournament stacks in my mind just through everything i looked at my confidence was really in uh miami offense and uh the indie offense specifically Tannehill. um and Jarvis Landry, and Andrew Luck, and T.Y. Hilton. Um, obviously, those paid off, and it's not always going to pay off. That's why I do like having exposure to a lot of players. But to me, those were the two clear tournament stacks. I usually roll out four to five stacks every week, um, but I, I don't have to force that. Like I forced two other stacks that I didn't particularly like just because I wanted exposure to more players. Uh, and it cost me a lot of money because um, even though I did well in GPPs, I could done great if i, I kind of went through all the top lineups everything that won all the money that won the qualifiers and it was some combination of my core i just didn't play enough combinations of those stacks to uh to nail down that perfect lineup and um i kind of en- ended up kicking myself because um i knew i felt very strongly about um you know those stacks plus girly um plus rams d and i kind of got a little nervous at the end and mixed things up where i probably could have nailed a near perfect lineup if i would have just you know trust my instincts and my and my research but you know it happens a lesson and it'll you know it'll come it'll all come together eventually definitely and i think you made a couple of good points number one is in general i think it is easier to fade highly owned wide receivers because there are just in a given week there will just be a lot more wide receivers that post good scores than running backs and the running backs that do post good scores like you mentioned they are easier to predict so you know really great point that as you mentioned you're not going to be losing as much equity by moving off a top wide receiver play and it might save you a lot of grief you know if you faded DeAndre Hopkins last week you faded Larry Fitzgerald even Martavis Bryant only had three catches I know he had the touchdown but those were pretty much the three consensus top wide receiver plays and they really didn't do too much but moving on let's get right into quarterbacks for week eight and the first guy I'm looking at is a guy who was actually my favorite late round quarterback this offseason and a guy who's been money pretty much every week and that's Andy Dalton he's 8,100 on FanDuel, 6K on DraftKings. First of all, on DraftKings, he's an absolute steal at 6K. (laughs) You know, he's scored 20-plus DraftKings points in five straight games, yet his price has actually gone down from when the season began on that site. He is the fantasy QB2 on the year behind only Tom Brady. He's produced three or more touchdowns, even in some tough matchups against the Seahawks and the Bills and even the Chargers who are also have a top 10 rating in 4 for 4s adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks he has posted three or more touchdowns in each of those games and this game against the Steelers sets up for the Bengals to throw the ball Pittsburgh allows the sixth most passing yards per game in the league but the eighth fewest rushing yards per game in the league so Pittsburgh's strength on defense is on the ground. Their vulnerability is through the air. I expect Andy Dalton to have another very solid performance with all the weapons he has on that offense. The next guy I'm looking at, it seems like we talk about him every week, Phillip Rivers. Yeah. Now, he is traveling to the East Coast, so that's the only reason I didn't mention him before Dalton. And also, his price is a little more expensive than Dalton. He's 8500 on FanDuel, 6600 on DraftKings. But his 350 passing yards per game lead the NFL. The Ravens are just a great matchup for a quarterback to have. They rank 31st in 4 for four schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks and Rivers has been a top four fantasy QB this season 
So I think you've got to keep having confidence in rolling him out there. He'll spread the ball around. He'll throw touchdowns. He'll throw yards. And he'll be a very strong play cash games or tournaments. Now, speaking of tournaments, it could be a great time to buy low on Drew Brees. He is 7900 on FanDuel, 6700 on DraftKings. His price is down $1,000 on FanDuel and $1,300 on DraftKings from when the season began. And the price drop is mostly due to some negative touchdown variance, some kind of bad luck almost. Breeze is third in the NFL in yards per game, but tied for 22nd in touchdowns per game. Mm-hmm. Now, that is bound to regress to the mean. The Saints have been getting a lot of rushing touchdowns lately. Kyrie Robinson had a couple last week. The Giants are allowing 297 passing yards per game. That's fourth most in the NFL. And the Giants rank 21st in 4 for 4s schedule-adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. And Saints-Giants, one of the week's highest over-under totals at 49. And the Saints have one of the week's highest implied point totals at 28. So, Rivers, Dalton, Breeze, some guys I'm looking at. TJ, I know you're also like Joe Flacco. Talk about him really quick. Yeah, I mean, you just touched uh, you touched quickly on on some numbers that you expect to regress to the mean for Drew Brees, and that's something we'll probably we we started talking about it in the last couple of weeks, but this is this is kind of the part of the season where we can we really start seeing those you know early number early season outlier numbers uh, start regressing. Uh, you know, unless there's a team that just is completely void of talent at a specific position, or they have a complete outlier in talent like a Gronk, um, usually uh, percentage and rate numbers like completion percentage, touchdown rate, uh, those type of things usually uh, regress pretty strongly. Uh, for that reason, um, I'm I'm pretty high on Joe Flacco, and uh, you know Joe Flacco and the whole really the whole Baltimore offense, but. Uh, I think Flacco is going to be the guy people are sleeping on this week. And it's for a lot of the reasons that I was pointing towards Ryan Tannehill and Jarvis Landry last week. Uh, the ba- Baltimore Ravens have they have a really high number of red zone pass attempts uh, this year. I think they have the, the fourth most in the league, coincidentally tied with Miami uh, for the f- fourth most passing attempts in the league. But they've only converted uh, 15% of of those red zone passing attempts into touchdowns. Uh, league average is re- usually around 23% uh, for red zone targets into touchdowns. And these are two offenses that uh, they're top 10 in terms of offensive pace, uh, the Chargers and the Ravens. And again, that's a similar situation as last week. We saw um, Houston and Miami, two teams that, that are top 10 in pace. And, you know, even if one of those teams isn't scoring, we saw it last week with, with the Texans. Um, they had a really bad game, but they're running plays really quickly. So when they do go three and out, it's fast. So the other offense is getting the ball quickly. Um, and then the uh, – I'm sorry, the the Ravens' opponent. The Chargers are they're – they're fourth worst in the league in touchdown rate allowed, which is coincidentally right behind the Texans. So there are a lot of parallels to, to that Tannehill-Landry stack that I like with Flacco this week. Um, but I just wanted to quickly touch on that as one of my kind of sneaky, probably just a GPP play. Um, but speaking of the Ravens, getting into our running back values for the week, one of the most glaring values of the week is Justin Forsett. Uh, he's priced $6,900 on FanDuel. He's priced $6,100 on DraftKings. Uh, he, he's been one of the the higher workload backs in the league this year. Um, he's one of four running backs that is averaging at least 20 touches per game and four targets per game on the season. And San Diego ranks last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, um, according to 4 for 4. And they're also ranked last in fantasy points per touch um, in both FanDuel and DraftKings points. Uh, Baltimore is favored by three at home. They have a uh, implied point total at 26.5, which is one of the highest of the week. And you mentioned that Baltimore is traveling. I'm sorry, that San Diego's traveling to Baltimore. Uh, you know, West Coast teams uh, playing in the early game on the East Coast is traditionally a, a really negative thing for the West Coast team. And I'm always a little hesitant to follow those narratives. So I did go back and look at the numbers. Since 2000, team, since 2000 West Coast teams that are playing on the East Coast in that early game are 56 and 121 with uh, – 
losing by average score of 24 to 19. Now, over a sample of that many games, it's hundreds of games. I think it was right around 100 and the one, what is it? One twenty-one plus one, one seventy-seven. That's a big sample. That's a that's a big sample. So if you see a if you see that big of a discrepancy over that big of a sample, um, you know there's definitely something there. So that's something to take note of. Uh, you know, moving up a little bit in price. A guy that we were on last week. We're going back to the well this week. Todd Gurley. Uh, he's his his price is you know getting towards the top of the running backs, but he's still priced in like that running back seven to ten range. But he he's clearly one of the the biggest workloads in the league among running backs. He's eighty one hundred dollars on Fanduel. He's sixty three hundred dollars on DraftKings. Um, the Rams are a, a really big home favorite. Is it the biggest favorite of the week uh, this week? Uh, eight points. I believe so. Yeah, they're the biggest favorite of the week against the Niners, who obviously have really struggled just on both sides of the ball in every aspect of defense. They've been poor against the pass. They've been poor against the run. Uh, they're ranked 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. And then, you know, as far as, as Gurley's workload, uh, it's no secret that he's been getting a huge amount of touches. But since he took over starter snaps, he has been averaging over 24 touches per game, and he leads the league in workload uh, with uh, almost 57% of the team touches. That's just a ridiculously high number. Uh, and then there are a few there there are quite a few uh values at running back specifically on DraftKings. There there are a lot of guys that are priced pretty low relative to FanDuel. Uh Chris Johnson's only $4600 on DraftKings. Danny Woodhead's $4500. Uh Jonathan Stewart's $4100. Uh just some some quick talking points on those guys. Chris Johnson, the the Cardinals are four and a half points Point favorites over Cleveland, who ranks 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Uh, Chris Johnson ranks in the top 10 in running backs and touches inside the 10. That's a stat we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Uh, Danny Woodhead, he's obviously, like you talked about, Rivers is going to spread it around. Uh, San Diego can't run the ball. Uh, Melvin Gordon hasn't been good. And when when they are throwing the ball, Woodhead's going to be on the field. He's ninth in running back red zone opportunities. Um, he has the second most red zone targets among running backs. He's had 12-plus touches in five of the Chargers' seven games. And then finally, Jonathan Stewart. Um, I'm always hesitant to roster Carolina running backs just because they usually lack touchdown upside. Usually it's Cam running it in or throwing it to Greg Olson or they're getting vultured by a fullback. But we have a guy who is uh, they're favored um, at home by a touchdown. You're getting 18 plus touches per game. Priced as a 26 price uh, running back on DraftKings. Um, Indy ranks 26 in adjusted fantasy points allowed. So if you do need some really big price saver, uh, Jonathan Stewart is a really interesting guy to look at. Uh, Chris, you got any thoughts on running backs? Uh, I think I think it is interesting that you mentioned Stewart because he's a guy that I was also thinking about this week too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I for the, I'm hesitant for the same reason you are. I know the touchdowns aren't always there, but just I've just been watching the Carolina games these last two three games, and Stewart has just been running amazingly yeah. well some yeah. running pretty much as strongly as i've ever seen him run in his career this far he looks hungry so you know it's a situation where the numbers aren't necessarily going to lead you to the play but sometimes you have to trust your gut and i think i'll have Stewart in some lineups just because of how he's been looking lately and as you mentioned all the good circumstances surrounding him the favorite the price the matchup so i really like that call on jay stew moving on to wide receivers antonio brown ben roethlisberger looks like he's going to play this week antonio brown is 8400 on fanduel he's 7800 on DraftKings. his price is down 900 on fanduel and a thousand dollars on DraftKings from when the season began and if Ben is back, Brown retains his status as the top overall wide receiver. And even if Big Ben does not play, Brown proved he could produce with Landry Jones under center as opposed to Michael Vick. Brown put up six catches for 124 yards last week. The Bengals are middling 16th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed. Next up in that same game, A.J. Green. 8,200 on FanDuel, 7,600 on DraftKings. I've talked about this before. Green always produces more on the road. In his career, he's averaged 6.8 receptions, 101.7 yards, and .7 touchdowns on the road. That's compared to 4.4 
catches, 64 yards, and only .5 TDs at home. The Steelers rank 24th in 4-for-4s, adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And Green has had success against the Steelers in the past. He caught at least eight passes in both meetings in 2014. To save some salary, a guy I'm looking at is TJ's guy, Eric Decker, 6,400 on FanDuel, 5,300 on DraftKings. He's underpriced in a very predictable offense. It's all Ivory Marshall Decker. Decker has a 25% target market share, which rivals a lot of the wide receiver ones around the league. Decker has eight red zone targets. That trails only Brandon Marshall on the Jets. And Decker played in one fewer game, so they're basically getting an equal amount of red zone targets. The guy with the next highest amount of red zone targets on the Jets only has three. Decker is a prolific touchdown scorer. He has a 38% career red zone touchdown rate, and it's still 32% if you remove Peyton Manning's throws from the sample. Again, TJ mentioned this earlier. The league average is around 23 or 24%, and Decker will face a talent-deficient Oakland cornerback trio of DJ Hayden, Nico Thorpe, and David Amerson. So... Decker will probably see the most of Hayden because Hayden tends to cover the slot now. But no matter who he squares off against in Oakland secondary, it should be a good matchup for him. So those are the guys I'm looking at at receiver. Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, Eric Decker. TJ, do you have anything to add to wide receiver? Well, you mentioned Decker's one of my guys. I mean... I I couldn't even hear you talk about him without uh, getting a little smile on my face. Uh, I mean, Decker. Just just a quick little story. Decker's a guy I've liked since since he was in college. I didn't even know who he was. I'm not a big college guy, but I'm a a Cal Bears fan, and I remember uh, Cal traveling to Minnesota, and when this was when Cal was actually still good at football, and I just saw Decker roast the Bears um, on national TV, and ever since then I've I've been a I've been a huge Decker guy. Um, but yeah, one other guy I do want to touch on. Speaking of speaking of Cal, um, Cincinnati passing game is is going to be a theme in this podcast a little bit. Uh, Marvin Jones, if you want to save some money uh, this week, uh, he has eight targets in three of the last four games, and he's matched or exceeded uh, AJ Green's targets in two of those games, and they have the same number of red zone targets on the season. Uh, you've already mentioned Green and Dalton. I think uh, I think you want every piece of this uh, of the Cincinnati passing game if you can and. And uh, speaking of speaking of Cincinnati passing game, one of my favorite tight ends of the week is Tyler Eifert. He's six thousand dollars on FanDuel. He's he's fifty three hundred dollars on DraftKings. Uh, he's just been he's been a monster after after Gronk. He's been you know probably the probably the best tight end um, in the league. He, Eifert's been better than Bar- <laughs> Has he? I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, let's see. Everett's been beasted. You can you can look. He's been he's been one of the most efficient red zone scorers uh, in the league. I mean, the the numbers probably going to come down. Oh, you know what? It's actually funny. Uh, Barnage and uh, and Eifert actually have the same red zone conversion rate this year. They're both at sixty seven percent. But but Eifert has three more red zone targets. Um, he has nine red zone targets, which is second among tight ends. Uh, first on the t- first on the team. Uh, Pittsburgh's 28th um, in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. And I think you touched on it. The Bengals have a 25-point projected point total, which is anything, you know, over that 24-point threshold is a really, really good total. Another guy that's uh, similarly priced, but, you know, sometimes you need to save a couple hundred dollars in a spot. Tell us, is is he all right over there? Are you dropping stuff? (laughs) I'm dropping stuff, but I'm all right. <laughs> all right. Sorry to interrupt. Just, uh, he got excited about this next guy. Uh, Martell, <laughs> Martellus Bennett, he was just falling over himself over Martellus Bennett. $5,700 on FanDuel, uh, $4,900 on DraftKings. Uh, Bennett's averaging eight and a half targets per game. Uh, Minnesota is similarly bad against tight ends. They rank 26 in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. And, you know, Chris, the reason I love you is because we, we think the same so much. You were talking about price drops. Uh, we talked about it in one of our theories. You were talking about it with Drew Brees. Um, 
This is a pretty weird inefficiency that I found this week. Martellus Bennett's price is down $500 from the start on the season on FanDuel, but it's up $600 on DraftKings. Um, so there's some kind of weird inefficiency there. So go ahead and take the, the price discount on FanDuel if you're looking to save a couple bucks and still get quite a few targets. Um, and then my favorite pump play of all time, as always, uh, Larry Donnell. He's $5,100 on FanDuel. He's $3,300 on DraftKings. Um, he's always going to be a boring play. Um, his ceiling is never going to be ridiculously high. Um, but, you know, if you want to punt and just get some cheap points, he's, you know, usually a decent option. He's had at least five targets in every game since week one. Uh, his eight red zone targets are third at the position. Uh, he's the, uh, the Saints are 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends, and I think this is going to be another one of those super uh, high-scoring games, very fast-paced, uh, over under 49 points with a spread of just three and a half, so should be high-scoring and pretty close. And again, it's two teams matched up that both uh, both are in the top ten in terms of offensive pace, so more plays, more scoring opportunities, more red zone opportunities for Donnell. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on tight end? Gary Barnage. Gary Barnage. <laughs> no, it's funny though. I because I was um, I was actually trying to get a read on him for this week because you know he's still pretty cheaply priced, and I was watching some film on him. To he's see, cheap on DraftKings. He's not yeah, cheap on right, right, right. Yeah, it's DraftKings, and um, I was just trying to see you know what where he succeeds, and I was watching film. I was watching the All Twenty Two tape on him over the last few games. And one thing I noticed about him was that he's really good at getting open against zone coverages, cover threes, especially, but that doesn't set up well for him this week because the Cardinals play a lot of man coverage and they have a safety. Who's kind of a hybrid safety linebacker named Dion Buchanan. And he tends to cover tight ends and man coverage. So this is a week where actually if you were on Barnage these last couple of weeks or maybe you're just looking at his game logs and you see the ridiculous production, you might not actually want to be on him this week just because the Cardinals, again, play a lot of man coverage. Barnage has been mostly succeeding versus zone. Yeah, and just, just one more quick note. I mean, I think this is a classic example where um, uh, a DFS-specific um, strategy comes into play and, you know, even though Gary Barnage is, is emerging as one of the better tight ends, uh, we, we always have to be price sensitive, and his price is creeping up, and he is really obviously very expensive on FanDuel and close enough to guys like Graham and Bennett on DraftKings, even though he is cheaper, uh, that, that price sensitivity should come into play this week. Definitely. Yeah, and just in general, it's always good to look at FanDuel versus DraftKings pricing, even if you don't play on both, just to get an idea of where the market is valuing guys when you see a huge discrepancy on one of the sites, it's usually an indicator that you might want to take advantage of it. Yeah. So, great point. Before we move on, I just want to mention some big news from Fantasy Aces this week. As you might recall, the Fantasy Aces $500,000 live final was scheduled for Las Vegas. However, due to the recent DFS industry developments in Nevada, they had to scramble to find a new location with an equal or better experience. Well, Fantasy Aces just announced that the live final is now taking place in Newport Beach, California. If you haven't been there, it's an amazing location, especially in mid-December when most of the country is freezing. They're putting everyone up in the Balboa Bay Club right on Newport Harbor. Three nights at a five-star luxury resort in Southern California in the winter sounds like a pretty great setting for a live NFL final. Nice work by our buddies at Fantasy Aces. This Sunday, there are two different qualifiers for the Fantasy Aces NFL Live Final with three total seats up for grabs. They also have a $250 NFL free roll as well as DFS football contests starting at just a few dollars that pay out real cash prizes. Give Fantasy Aces a try this week and be sure to use promo code 4 for 4 that's the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4 for a 200% first-time deposit bonus. I'll quickly go through kicker now. Josh Lambo. I feel like he's another guy we talk about almost every week. He's $4,500, so minimum price kicker at Baltimore. The 50-point over-under in that game is this week's highest, uh, not counting the Thursday night game. Now, Lambeau's Chargers are an underdog, but they're only a three-point underdog, so the game is expected to be close and high-scoring. I wouldn't overthink it there. If you're looking for a minimum price kicker, Lambeau's should be a solid option. And then 
Graham Gano, 4,700. Carolina, as TJ mentioned, has a 26-point team total. Gano has multiple field goal attempts in every game except when they face the Seahawks, which is understandable. And the Colts rank 24th in adjusted fantasy points, allowed two kickers. So Lambeau, Gano, kickers. TJ, take us through your picks at defense. Yeah, I mean, defense is pretty interesting this week. Uh, they they price defense is pretty tight. There aren't usually there's one or two clear punt options or mid price options. Uh, the best matchups are priced like the best matchups this week. Um, all that being said, I still do like the Rams just because I think they do dominate the matchups across the board. Uh, they they are a little pricey. They're fifty one hundred dollars on FanDuel. They're thirty two hundred dollars on DraftKings, but. Again, they're facing the Niners, who have been an abomination in every aspect of the game. Um, Vegas points to a a good matchup for the Rams. Uh, San Francisco has an implied point total under 16 points, which is the lowest of the week. Like, If you pay attention to Vegas lines and totals, that's a ridiculously low implied point total. You know, that's, that's really, really bad. Uh, Kaepernick has a, a 13% sack rate, which is... Uh, either worst or second worst in the league. He has a touchdown rate under 3%, which is extremely low. And St. Louis is allowing the third lowest touchdown rate to quarterbacks, just Um, 2.4% touchdown rate. That's touchdowns per passing attempt. Uh, So I really do like the Rams this week. I think they control the game with Gurley. I think they can um, put pressure on cap. They can control that offense. And then is uh, – does – What's his face? Does does their running back have an injury this week? Um, Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde. He said his um, foot isn't is not a hundred percent. I think um, he's going to okay. play, but he said he's not anywhere close to hundred. Yeah, so that could make it you know even uglier for the Niners. Um, like I said, there wasn't a glaring mid or or cheap um, punt play. If this is a, a GPP only play, but if you really want to really punt the position. Um, the Raiders could be an interesting play if Chris Ivory is out or limited. Um, Oakland is eighth in FanDuel uh, fantasy points per attempt allowed to quarterbacks, and they're 11th um, in DraftKings fantasy points per attempt allowed per attempt uh, versus quarterbacks. Uh, so, you know, despite, like you mentioned, the, um, the, their lack of talent in the secondary, they have been able to put pressure on the passer. And Fitzpatrick has one of the worst interception rates in the league at uh, 3.3%. So that's an interception on 3.3% of his pass attempts. That's the sixth worst among quarterbacks with at least 200 dropbacks this season. So if if Ivory is outer limited and the, uh, the Jets are forced to throw a lot, you know, this could be a game where even if even if Decker and Brandon Marshall do do their thing, uh, Fitz could throw one or two picks. And like I said, Raiders have been able to pressure the quarterback a little bit, and that's always where we're looking for those fantasy points to come from. Uh, so that's just kind of a sneaky play. Not one I would roll out in cash games, but a very cheap option if you need to save some money. Very interesting. The Oakland Raiders, that is a good one. I didn't even think of them. Um, but okay, so without further ado, let's jump right in to our DFS theory segment. Today we're going to be talking about bankroll management. So, TJ, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, and uh, it's something you and I discuss all the time. And specifically, we want to talk about uh, how we approach specific game types. Uh, it's you know, we get a lot of questions on Twitter. We get get a lot of email questions, and with a lot of new people coming into the DFS industry, uh, one of the most popular questions we get is, "How much money do you play? How do you approach specific game types? Uh, you know, how much money do you play in cash? How much money do you play in GPPs? How much money in head-to-heads?" So, the my starting point is always, uh, "What's your goal?" You know, if if you're brand new to DFS and uh, you just want to have a a good experience, you know, you don't, you're not trying to burn through all your money right away, then you obviously kind of want to avoid those high variance GPPs, those, those top heavy payout structures. Uh, you know, if you're trying to uh, grind out a living, if you're someone that's doing this full time, then again, you're going to focus a lot more attention on cash games. Uh, you're going to avoid playing a ton of those those GPPs. But if you are more experienced, you do want exposure to them because you want some upside uh, to your to your lineups and to your weekly uh, game selection. 
Um, and then if you're someone that's, if you know, you understand the different game types, you understand the variants involved in the games, and you are not playing seriously, you're not playing for a living, you're not trying to grind out a 50% ROI, uh, and you have, you know, one or two grand, but you just want to turn that into a big number, then, you know, it's it's okay to play a huge amount of GPPs knowing that, you know, there's a really good chance that you're going to end the season uh, with a negative ROI. But again, it's just something that, that really depends on your goals. Uh, a, a really good starting point, uh, it's a generic rule is the 80-20-10 rule. What, what that means, it's uh, 80 is 80% of your weekly um, weekly money in cash games. Those are the the head-to-heads, the double-ups, the 50-50s, and then uh, 20% in, in GPPs or leagues or tournaments. And then the 80-20-10, the 10 means never playing more than uh, 10% of your bankroll in a given week. Um, now, that's obviously going to fluctuate depending on the player, depending on your goals, and depending on how you approach DFS as a whole. Uh, someone that plays NFL specifically is going to play very differently than someone that plays all the sports. And Chris, that's something that you and I have talked about a lot. Uh, what, what's your general take on playing NFL specific, on playing if you're playing all kinds of sports, how you approach it specifically, and um, a little bit about the risks involved in the different different uh, game selections. I like to take a little more risk in the NFL. I like to play a larger amount of GPPs than I would in another sport. So I know you mentioned the 80-20-10 rule. I Straight from that, a little in the NFL, I probably have closer to a third of my money in GPPs. Usually, I am willing to take on some risk and even to to lose money in order to really try to find that big score in the NFL and put all my research to good use throughout the week. So that's just a one way to think about it. Now, for the people that are only playing NFL and not playing any other sports, I would you know, suggest that you don't quite approach it like that unless, again, like TJ mentioned, you don't really care about losing money and you're just trying to hit that big score. But if you're not, if you're only playing NFL, the 80-20-10 rule still applies. It's still a great rule. I actually am doing a series on 4 for 4 called the FanDuel Bankroll Builder, and that's what I'm basically using is the 80-20-10 rule. I play a lot of head-to-heads, especially on... FanDuel, I think FanDuel lends itself a little more to head-to-heads to limit some of the variance just because FanDuel is only half-point PPR. There are no yardage bonuses, so there's a little more inherent variance because touchdowns are a lot more emphasized and touchdowns are harder to predict. On DraftKings, I'm a lot more open to playing in the the 50-50s and the double-ups because with the flex and with the PPR, if you are a player with who feels that they have good ability to forecast and accurately predict things. Uh, DraftKings is a great site to play on for that. So that's just a little about how I approach bankroll. I take more risks in the NFL season than probably most people would just because I'm trying to maximize the amount of research that I do do in a given week and also because I play other sports. Yeah, I mean, that's all really good points. And I mean, you're – like you mentioned, your your strategy is spe- tailored specifically to uh, to what your goals are. And you know, if if I was talking to a beginning player, someone that you know is is brand new to DFS, um, in relation to like that generic eighty twenty ten rule, I would suggest that a new user starts um, a little more heavy on the on the cash game side um, before you can ever really strike your balance or know you know how many game how much you should be playing in each game type uh, you want to at least get an idea of your win rate because like you mentioned football is such a short season it's going to be really hard for us to to recognize our, our true win rate um, but for a brand new player I would suggest 
you know, something even as extreme as, as 90-10-10, uh, just so you can get a feel for the games, just so you can, you know, recognize exactly how you're doing in those cash games, get more exposure to those cash games, make sure you uh, are just locking down the fundamentals of setting a lineup. Uh, for me specifically, I only play NFL, and although I'm I'm playing a decent amount of volume and, you know, I am trying to, to make a profit, I still have a full-time job and I'm not grinding out for a living. So uh, my my bankroll strategy isn't necessarily maximizing my expected value. Um, my goal going into this year was to use my cash games to bankroll my GPPs and then you know get that you know just get one of those exponentially large scores. Um, now you can't go into the season expecting you know exactly how much is that that's going to be or expecting to hit an exact win rate but i have played enough that i'm confident in how much i think i can win in cash games so because of that i'm a little more aggressive in my bankroll strategy i'm playing anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of my bankroll um each week with anywhere from you know 15 to 25 percent of that money in gpps Uh, now again that's a very risky strategy and I am I'm very far from my you know maximum expected value because of that like I I can be grinding out a steady profit over the course of the season but like I said I'm trying to I'm trying to just you know play as many GPPs as possible and just break even in those stretches before I have that big score so again it's something that really just comes down to your goals and uh it's if if you're brand new to 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 the DFS you know to the whole concept of DFS in this year's first season, uh, you might not be able to strike that balance just because NFL season is so short. Um, I'm not someone that plays all the sports, so uh, if you're dabbling in NBA or or golf or MLB, then it's going to change quite a bit. Um, but that's how how I approach my strategy. Do you have any uh, specific thoughts on specific games, Chris, or is or do you, just as far as cash games, do you play a certain mix of head-to-heads or um, double-ups, triple-ups, head fifty-fifties? Uh, um, it depends on the week, usually, and it depends on the site. As I mentioned, on FanDuel, I like to play more head-to-heads because I think there is just a lot more variance that's tougher to predict on FanDuel because of the scoring format. I think DraftKings lends itself to playing in larger field double-ups and fifty-fifties because I think... If you can predict and forecast with a high level of accuracy or just a better level of accuracy than 60% of the field or so, you'll have a lot more success. Whereas on FanDuel, I think there's there's more times where variance can come into the equation and you could have what looks like a good lineup, but some, some touchdown variance can sink you on FanDuel a lot more than it can on DraftKings where you're getting those full point PPRs and you're getting those yardage bonuses, etc. But... It really depends on the week, and it also depends as far as bankroll allocation goes. There's certain weeks where there just might not be a lot of great values, and when I'm making cash game lineups, I'm just not very comfortable with those cash game lineups. Yeah. I'm not going to force myself to play to put a large amount of my bankroll in the cash games in those instances. I'll play more GPPs because I feel like there is more opportunity there. And some weeks, there I have a pretty good feel of what I want my cash game lineups to be and I'll play a lot more cash games and less GPP so it also just depends on the week the great thing about DFS is you're choosing how much money you play you're choosing what kind of games you enter you're choosing what type of risk you're willing to take on and nobody's forcing you so I would say another great piece of advice is just tailor your approach to a given week. If you are just struggling to make a cash game lineup in a given week, then maybe focus on GPPs for that week. Focus on some higher variance contests where you can take advantage of the fact that it's going to be tough to predict value in cash games in a given week. So, you know, that's just kind of how I approach the different game types. There's no strategy that's set in stone. I think the biggest thing for people to keep in mind when it comes to bankroll is take a percentage of your bankroll to put into play each week of the NFL season and stick to that. Don't win, say, 
say you win a grand one week and now your bankroll's up to two grand and don't go play that entire two grand the next week because yeah. you know you might I've, no because I've seen people do yeah this. no it sounds obvious but it ha- yeah it happens a lot right so you know that's something to really keep in mind your money in play is very important even more so than your allocation even if you're playing a hundred percent GPP if you're and you're playing, say, 10% of your bankroll, which is still a large amount to be putting into 100% GPP. But at least then, worst comes to worst, you've lost only 10% of your bankroll. Now you can go and, you know, come back the next week. But just ne- always have a keen eye on your money and play and try to keep that consistent. Because if you don't keep that consistent, what will happen is if you have a bad week and then you start to really lower your money and play the next week because you were kind of scared off by that bad week, if you have a good week that next week, you won't make as much money back right. that next week because you lowered your money and play. And then it, say now the next week after that, you say oh, you're feeling very confident because you had a good week the week before. So you play a lot more money than you would usually play then if you have a bad week, now you've lost a lot more money than you normally would have. So you, you've, you've had a, a good week, yet a good week and a bad week, yet you've lost a lot more in the bad week than you made in the good week. So I think it's really important to just get a percentage of your bankroll that you want to play and try to stick to that, whether it's 20% or 15% or 10% or 5%. Try to stick to that in a given week. If you're going to adjust it, adjust it very slightly and have a concrete reason for adjusting it. Don't just adjust it because based on last week's results because then you're just kind of succumbing to recency bias and things of that nature, and you're going to really psych yourself out with your bankroll, and that's something you really do not want to do. Yeah, I mean, being consistent every week is that's a huge part of the bankroll management. Uh, one final point that I I just wanted to touch on is cash game specific strategy. Uh, we get a lot of questions about the the mix between head to heads, double ups, fifty fifties, and even what the difference in those games are. Uh, for me personally, um, this might not be a, like I said, it might not be an optimal. Um, EV maximizing strategy, but I play exclusively head to heads. But like I said, I'm just trying to you know break even uh, and pay for my for my tournaments and hit that bigger score. Um, <clears throat> so I'm trying to recognize you know uh, my true uh, lineup expected value, and the way to do that is play a massive amount of head to heads. So I'm playing you know uh, quite a large volume of head to heads every week, and the reason I do that is because when I do have a a lineup that falls in the 40 you know 40th percentile if i play enough head-to-heads i'm going to win roughly 40 percent of my head-to-heads where if i play that in a 50 50 or a double up unless you're in the top 50 percent you're not getting any money so you know you can have the you can have a lineup in the 45th percentile you don't win any money in a double up or 50 50 Uh, so that's why i play the head-to-heads and then as far as as 50 50s versus double ups there are just some subtle differences um a uh, 50-50 is just like it sounds. It's going to pay out uh, half of the field, but you're going to win slightly less than double your money because the rake is going to come from the prize pool. So the difference between that and a double up is in a double up, you're going to actually double your money, but they're paying out uh, slightly less than half the field. So if there are, say, 100 contestants, instead of 50 getting paid, maybe they're only paying 45. So although that sounds like a similar... Uh, number, the rake in those double-ups is actually higher. So choosing between the two, I prefer the 50-50. Um, but, you know, users should take notes of those subtle differences in those game types. Uh, so those are just a couple things to think about as far as your cash game exposure. Definitely. And I think they're with double-ups and 50-50s, those are things that are going to give you some more upside. If right. You, if you want – and again, it all comes back to your goals. But if you want some more upside with your – cash game lineups play them in more double up and 50 50s i personally think that double ups and 50 50s lend themselves better to people who play multiple cash game lineups in a given Mm -hmm. week i don't always do that if there is one lineup i feel is optimal i'm not gonna bump down to some second tier plays just to play a second lineup but sometimes there are just a lot of equal values and i will play multiple lineups when i do play multiple lineups i have no problem putting each 
of them in some double ups and some 50-50s. But again, as TJ mentioned, if you're only playing one lineup and you're putting it all in double up and 50-50, that is not the same thing as playing in a bunch of head-to-heads. You're taking on a lot more risk. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. And even with your bankroll, if you're going to be a primarily double up and 50-50 player, you might want to put less of your bankroll, less of your money in play than if you're playing in head-to-head. If you're playing in head-to-head, you can afford to risk a lot more because even if you do have a terrible week and you finish in the 20th percent, 80% of the field has better lineups than you, you'll still win roughly 20% of your head-to-head matchup. So you don't have as much risk of losing everything in a given week as if you're playing entirely head-to-heads. However, head-to-heads, they do limit your upside somewhat because For example, if you have a lineup that's in the 60th percentile, you're going to still lose 40% of your head-to-heads. But if you had that in a double-up or a 50-50, you're obviously going to win 100% of your cash game. So there's a mix. There's a balance to be had there. It really depends on how much risk you want to take on. I usually play more... Um, head-to-heads, then double-ups, at least by a two-to-one ratio. But again, if there's when multiple lineups come into play, I will increase my exposure to double-ups because then with head-to-heads, if I'm playing multiple lineups, there's going to be a lot of variance anyway because I could play one a lineup that would have beat somebody that another one of my lineups wouldn't have beat and, it, and I, could, I could end up losing in a lineup that I would have, if I used a different lineup, I would have won. So it just, with, <laughs> yeah. with, you know, with head to heads and multiple lineups, I, it becomes there a lot more variances involved and yeah. then it might make sense to play a little more 50 fifties and double us. But if you're playing one lineup, I would definitely focus on head to heads. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a topic that, I mean, you could literally write an entire book on. I mean, Jonathan Bales has already done it. So, you know, we're not going to cover every scenario and every every game and every concept. But those are just some, some general points to think about for people that are trying to figure out their, their bankroll strategy that don't know exactly why they might play a specific game mixer type. So, um, yeah, those are some really good points to, to think about, to consider when you're trying to figure out which games you want to play. Uh, so that's that was a really good discussion on on bankroll and picks for the week that are going to, you know, when you got some money. Definitely. So that about wraps it up for us. Now, at the top of the show, I mentioned that we will be giving away a free 4 for 4 football DFS subscription, a $79 value. So to win your free 4 for 4 DFS subscription, go on iTunes and rate and review the DFS MVP podcast. You can find us on iTunes by searching for DFS MVP. A winner will be chosen at random from everyone who rated and reviewed in this past week. And the winner will be announced at the beginning of next week's podcast, at which point they can contact 4 for 4 or me or TJ directly to claim their free 4 for 4 DFS subscription. So again, rate and review the podcast on iTunes and a winner will be chosen at random and announced during the beginning of next week's podcast. So... Thank you very much for listening to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports, a most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. You can find TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez and me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Good luck in week eight. This money, let's get it. Let's get this money. The thieves theme, the play me at night, they won't act right. The fiend of hip hop has got me stuck like a crack pipe. The mind activation, react like I'm facing time, like Pappy Mason with pins I'm embracing. Wipe the sweat off my zone, spit the phlegm on the streets. Sway Tim's on my beats, makes my cipher complete. Weather cruising in a six cab, I'm on tarot deep, I can't call it. The beats make me falling asleep, I keep falling. But never falling six feet deep, I'm out for presidents to represent me. Say what? I'm out for presidents to represent me. Say what? I'm out for dead presidents to represent me.